This is secret option number three. I'm your host, Kimberly Fuskubik, and welcome to my podcast for pivoters, transitioners, the bold and brave. This past year has been a complete roller coaster ride for many, many entrepreneurs in the world, and I speak to only a handful of them with a few main themes in mind. Change, rebirth, starting over, and for lack of a better word, pivoting. Join me as we have unadulterated, uncensored conversations about business, life, health, and turning the corner. Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast. Um, I'm super excited that you have returned to listen to another episode. Um, We're well in the thick of it now. Uh, This is our fourth episode um, in this journey of podcasting. We've finally gotten into somewhat of a groove uh, in terms of developing content and editing and producing and, and, um, and posting, et cetera. Uh, you know, this podcast is pretty much a passion project of mine. So I never really banked on giving it quote unquote, a lot of time. So when we started this up, I was like, wow, this took, this takes a lot longer than people think, uh, to put together a podcast. So I'm very grateful that you're listening because um, it kind of validates this idea in my head of talking to people um, that have very interesting and powerful full stories to tell in entrepreneurship. Um, and that's also another reason why I'm so excited to introduce my next guest, uh, Hannah Lau. She is a powerhouse in her own right um, and a good friend of mine and my sister's for a very long time. Uh, My sister and her have been best friends since they were in university. And so I've known Hannah for just as long. And, you know, she's the godmother to my nephews. Uh, So she's actually very close to the family as well. But aside from that, she um, managed a business uh, for her, it was a marketing agency in Asia uh, during a time where running a business is it wasn't the easiest thing. Um, you know, we deal with COVID-19 here. And at that time, she was dealing with not only, COVID, you know, in the past couple of years, she not only was dealing with COVID-19, but she was also dealing with political unrest, um, which makes COVID-19 feel a little trivial, you know, uh, they had to deal with riots and stuff like that. And we had to deal with the fact that we had to mar- wear masks outside. So like, I mean, <laughs> it's uh, definitely the one word that kept swirling in my mind when I listened back to this podcast was humility and understanding that, you know, where we are in life is, you know, not as bad as, as, as one might seem. And, you know, I spoke previously in another episode about, about being grateful and gratitude and, um, it listening to Hannah speak really resonated with me in that way. So anyway, I'm not going to go too much further into it because I do want you to hear it. Uh, we had such a dynamic conversation that this is a two-parter conversation. Um, this is a two-parter episode. Uh, you know, we didn't want to draw it out for too long, uh, to make you guys listen for like 90 minutes straight. So that's why we broke it up into two. Um, but when you listen to it, I'm sure you're going to realize why we couldn't cut anything out. Um, so without further ado, this is Hannah Lau, 
and I hope you enjoy it. I'm Hannah Lau and uh, originally born and raised in Canada. Um, Hong Kong immigrant parents, um, first generation um, Canadian Chinese, and I um, finished my business degree in, 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 uh, at Laurier. And yeah. then I moved to China, actually. So this Certainly was afterwards, um, as, far, as far as I know. Yeah, pretty much immediately like, after I graduated, um, I moved to China and I started working in advertising agencies, sort of mad men, sell your soul type stuff. Um, and that was my foray into corporate advertising. Later on, I then moved to Singapore and continued yeah. doing that. Um, and I got to a point in about 20... 13, yeah. where I kind of felt like, okay, I'm, I don't know if I want to keep doing this forever, but at this point, I feel like I have enough under my belt in terms of experience, understanding, marketing communications. There's, there's a skill set there. I've, I've mm-hmm. you know, been through the ringer enough that I have a skill set. And I'm now noticing that there, there's a sector of uh, people, organizations, business, whatever you want to call them, that don't have access to the same level of corporate expertise that mm-hmm. I was serving and working with in the, in the big agency world. So for example, right, okay. when, you, when you work in a big agency world, your clients have a certain amount of budget, they're a certain size of you know, company, they yeah. have a reputation, blah, blah, blah. But then what about the little guy? What about the mom and pop? What about the social enterprise? What about yeah. the NGOs? Yeah. And by NGOs, I'm not talking about like, Red Cross, World Vision, UNICEF, you know, yeah, like yeah. Those, those guys can, you know, do their own thing. I'm talking about the little guy. Yeah. And when I say little guy, I mean that regardless of whether you're for-profit, non-profit, I'm talking organizational size. Yeah. Because regardless of whether you're for-profit or non-profit, um, whether you are a startup or, or whether you're a small business, you know, that it's just, you know, your mom and your dad running a coffee shop or a little grocery store organizations of a certain size all have common needs, common yeah, problems, mm-hmm. common, you know, so it's not about whether you're here to sell coffee or whether you're hugging orphans. Yeah. It's about organizational size. And what I realized at that point was I feel like there's this whole world of little guys that don't have access to these types of shiny, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. advertising um, services nor do they necessarily need them, but it doesn't right. mean that they should go without. Yes. Um, so I had this wild idea to just uh, jump ship and try it out just to see what would it look like to bring that level of corporate expertise. So we're not patronizing them by saying, oh, you know, you're a little coffee shop. So, you, you know, right. I'm just going to give you this like crappy stuff or whatever, you know? Right. Um, no, what does it look like to bring that level of corporate expertise and adapt it. And I say adapt because you don't want to go tell them that they need a million dollar commercial because that's not realistic either. So what does it look like to adapt that skill set into that sector? Right. And so I uh, left corporate advertising. I moved to Hong Kong and I started, I started first working for an NGO just to sort of understand what that world looks like, like what are even their needs? I mean, I don't want to be so arrogant where I just come in and be like, let me tell you, you know? Um, (laughs) So I was I so picture you say that, by the way, let, let me, let me, tell let you. me tell you, you know, <laughs> little um, person, little, yeah. little company. Yeah. So I worked for an NGO for about a year and a half just to understand how things 
go that, yeah. you know, and, and, and what their needs are. And then I was pro bonoing on the side at already at the same time. So right. this, this whole idea was sort of taking off even before I felt I was ready to right. do it, which and that's usually how the best business ideas come from. Classic entrepreneurial experience, right? The need, where the it's need more comes of first. A, yeah, the need is pushing you. You don't have to pull it, you know. Yeah. Kind of thing. So I was pro bonoing the side. I was working for this NGO, and the NGO had me traveling like 40 percent of the time. And I was like, "Whoa, okay, this is getting really crazy." Um, so at the end of a year and a half, I left my job at the NGO because I was like, "This is not crazy. happening anymore." Yeah. Um, and I said, you know what? I'm going to try to one woman agency this thing. Um, I'm just going to take as many clients as I physically can. Right. You know, and just try to serve them as best I can. Yeah. And uh, so I started doing that in uh, January 1st, 2015. That was sort of my, my line in the sand. My like, mm-hmm. okay, um, let's, let's do this. Yeah. Let's do this thing. And um, so 2015, it was just me by myself. Um, fast forward a, a year or so later, I was, there was too much work for me. So I had to start roping in freelancer friends. Right. So I wasn't a company at this point. It was just freelance me with my other freelance, freelance friends, friends. Just, <laughs> just trying to spread the business around because I couldn't do it myself. Like it was just sustainability just too much. Yeah. Um, and it was also figuring out what the product really was. Right. You know, as an entrepreneur, you sort of learn to develop the product as you go, right? Because mm-hmm. you need to put it in front of other people to know, like you can right. say, well, the product is this. And people are like, what is that? You know, but you got to mm-hmm. put it in front of people. It, it's, it's evolving the entire right. time. Right? So this was really a season of product development, I would say. Um, and by product, I mean, services, of course. Right. Service development. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I did that for a couple of years. Um, and, and really started finding my footing. And then I started running out of freelance friends. Like it was getting ridiculous. <laughs> um, I was running out of people to sort of pass stuff on to. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't even about the money at that point. It was like, I'm willing to split the money with you, Kim, like let's right. go in on this job. And you would be like, I- I'm sorry, I- I've got my own gigs and, and yeah. you know, or, or you've already given me three other jobs and I can't take on anymore. You know, it was right. getting crazy. So I was running out of freelance friends and at the end of, um, you know, I think it was about the third year, I was like, okay, I think I've hit a crossroad here where I, I gotta, I gotta pick and choose. I, I'm at, you know, kind of like a four-way stop. Like I can't mm-hmm. just keep going on this. Um, I was burning out and I had to decide whether I was going to scale up or scale down. Yeah. And, um, I had very little reason not to give it a shot and scale up right. because I've always, um, believed that, I'm a Christian. And so mm-hmm. I've always felt like whatever endeavor it is, it's, you know, there's, there's a spiritual component there. Right. Um, and I've always felt like, you know, there is a reason why these clients have been brought to me and I'm not just going to, for the sake of scaling down, be like, Oh, well, cutting you off, you know, right. I mean, there's always been more than just the business for me. There was right. a purposefulness, um, in my endeavor. And so, I felt like if I can do this skill set wise, which I had proven that I could, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just a matter of manpower, why not bring more people along, you know, it, br- bring more people into the boat right. that have a passion to do the same thing, to really help this sector with this level of expertise. Right. So, uh, so I built, I, I built out, registered the company formally, um, Astera Asia. Um, you can check us out at Astera.Asia, um, hired a team, 
This was uh, 2017? Uh, this was 2018, January 2018. 1, 2018. Yeah. Three years so three later. Three years in, three years later. Yeah. So three years of just me splashing around, figuring <laughs> out what, what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then building a team and then 2018 rented an office, did the whole thing, um, continued with many of our clients. So that was, uh, I already had a client base by then because yeah. I was already doing stuff, which was fantastic. Um, was able to pick up more clients because with a team, I had new skill sets that I didn't have. Right. You know, like other people brought things to the table that I couldn't do didn't have, yeah. before, you know, yep. so that was fantastic. Um, and we were off to the races. And then 2019 hit. So about a year and a half in uh, the protests in Hong Kong began. Yes. Uh, so we had a, a season of quite intense political unrest. Right. Um, and that, that hit us hard. There was a lot of businesses who really, who, who didn't make it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, when you have, you know, curfews and when you have, I'm talking all, all some retail businesses and you yeah. know, service industry and stuff when you have uh, subway stations that are closed off and burned and, you know, like people can't go out during the weekend and Hong Kong is that kind of place where people go out because their, their living situations are usually so small. Like yeah. They live in small apartments that people go out. It's go, it's, it's a going out city, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and when you have this kind of limitations, businesses just are hurting. Um, and they rely so much. Big. Right. And they, they realize so, so much, but then they're also scared because there's so much political tension there right. because you have a lot of these companies that might be, for example, like owned by big, let's say pro-China conglomerates. Right. And if they're pro-China, then the protesters would come and torch your little restaurant, even though you're there, you're there selling cakes, for example, you know, right. and it's like, but because you're owned by a very pro-China conglomerate, everything <sighs> becomes political. Right. Right. So anyways, I'm not going to get into that whole thing. <laughs> but I'll just say that 20, 2019 was a really tough season where we just, the rest of the world was, you know, w- w- so it wasn't COVID yet, you know, and no. the rest of the world was just kind of doing their thing, but Hong Kong was already hurting. Um, and then, and this and is like pre COVID, like we have no idea. Absolutely. We have like no clue. Like we're in yeah. Canada. So like even the right. idea of COVID came so much later here. That's right. That's right. Than you guys. And then on top of the fact that you guys were already hurting from something right. that was happening way before that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So 2019, we started, uh, you know, trying to just bunker ourselves because of this, um, this protest thing. I mean, the good news is that uh, our client base at the time um, has never been solely Hong Kong. So we have a lot of virtual clients, Um, even when I was freelancing, like it was never about I'm here, Astera Asia is in Hong Kong just to serve Hong Kong. That's never been the thing. I just happened to be in Hong Kong. Right. Um, But the virtual model had already been in place. So that, you know, if you think about it pre-COVID, like it, it, it was a good preparation. Absolutely. In that we didn't have to pivot in that sense because we were already so virtual. Right. So we had clients in the US, we had clients in Thailand, we had clients in mainland China, and we didn't travel to see them all the time, you know, so right. even pre COVID, pre protests, um, we were a very virtual setup. Right. Um, and then of course, you do have clients in Hong Kong, which you go see and whatever, but it's not like our whole bread and butter was like, oh, no, if you know, if you can't go right. and see your clients, your whole thing's done. Did you choose um, Hong Kong because it was a hub or you just fell into that and you just I fell into it because I came here 
I came here for family reasons uh, at the time. Yeah. Um, and then I started working for the NGO um, here remotely, actually. Um, and then when it came time to start the business, it, it just happened to be here, but right. it worked out well. And so that's why, you know, I agree with you saying I sort of fell into it because um, by the time I started the business, my network had already been developing in Hong Kong for several years mm-hmm. through my NGO work and, you know, all right. that stuff. And I was going into that space, you know, so right, I'd already right. picked up a lot of contacts with a lot of NGOs, small businesses, all that kind of stuff. So it's sort of like the client pool was already there through my natural networking and being in the city. Right. Um, Which is such a blessing now that at I, that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There was, that was divine provision for sure. Right. Um, and I, and I have to say that when I think back now, I mean, and again, uh, you know, I feel like entrepreneurial hindsight is, is the ultimate 2020. You know? Yeah. It's like, um, now that I think back, I don't think Astera could have been born as well as it did in any other city in Asia. Right. To be Just because of Hong Kong. That's right. Was. So, yeah. so you might be saying, well, Hannah, that's crazy because like, if you weren't in Hong Kong, you wouldn't have had to face protests. That is true. But the, it, the birth of Astera was pre-protest. Right. And let's be honest, political unrest can happen anywhere. So you can't really, I mean, look at Myanmar sure. now and whatever and all this stuff and Thailand had a bout of it and whatever. So you, you don't know, but in terms of the way people operate in Hong Kong, the nature of how people network, I mean, every city, every market kind of does business a different way. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah, yeah. the way people interact, the way people network, expectations of the way, you know, relationships are formed, the way Hong Kong does it, Hong Kong's network is very small, but also very tight. Yeah. So when you meet enough people, you start getting into this, like, oh, okay. You, you kind of get your way around yeah. how that works. And um, yeah, and it's a very well-connected hub with the rest of the region. Right. Um, so I think Astera could not have done as well as it did in any other city if it was born somewhere else. Right. Um, but anyway, so then 2019 comes and we, we actually survived the protests right? Um, in that we, we didn't have to cut anybody because business wasn't doing well. Like we just, we did our best to continue business as usual, you know? Right. Um, and one of our staff at the time in her review actually said, she was very sweet. She's like, I'm very impressed with how you guys have been able to manage through the protests. <laughs> and in my head, as a managing director, I was like, oh, praise God. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> great feedback all you're good, good, to, good yeah all you're trying to do is hang on you know yeah. i mean like you're not doing it so that you get good feedback you're just doing it so that you're protecting your people and trying not to endanger your staff and and, and all that kind of stuff. which is so which that is was great protest. because most of it was virtual anyway but then 2020 <laughs> right 2020 hits and well we had covid before you guys had covid right yes. and so i remember um early 2020 we were already you know, going through stuff. And, uh, and I had a trip to the US for a client. This was in February. So here I am in in Farmington, Michigan. And um, I'm there visiting a client, international clients, right. And, uh, and I remember telling them, yeah, this whole COVID thing is getting really crazy. And everyone's like, wow, really? Like, you know, (laughs) and I'm going to Target and I'm buying Lysol and hauling it back to Asia. And I get back to Asia and then within a month, yeah, the entire time. U.S. is, there. there's no Lysol to speak of. Like, it's crazy. So, But this <laughs> is in 2019. 
or 2020? No, this is 2020 now. This oh, is this 2020. is 2020 now. Right, 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 yeah. right. Okay. So the protests have sort of tapered off a little bit. Um, for political reasons, but also because uh, COVID sort of took the limelight, you know, and, yeah. and it distracted people. Um, but but now COVID is everywhere. So we're now in 2020, COVID is everywhere. And now we're really seeing business be impacted. Yes. One, because my international clients are now facing COVID. So now right. everybody's freaking out. Yeah. And two, the ones in Hong Kong that I've had been facing this a bit longer are now seeing the impact to the social sector. So when, um, so, you know, this kind of unrest and, and COVID stuff hitting retail is one thing, right. but when you think about the nonprofit sector, which, you know, is a large bulk of our clients, they run on donations, right? right? And so if people are losing jobs, they're not donating as much, or if people are scared about the world, or if people are risk averse, even more than usual, then, you know, you can imagine that the, the charitable sector, the philanthropic sector is going to take a hit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where we saw, we saw, it, it was really interesting because we were observing, um, sort of behaviors of potential clients Right. in the month of May and June. So this is 2020 May and June, right? We were still sending out proposals. People were still calling us saying, Hey, we're thinking about doing this. We're thinking about doing this. We're thinking about doing right. this. We were putting together so many pitch decks. So many, like we were pitching like crazy and quoting like crazy, but we never signed one piece of business. I mean, it was incredibly frustrating, but that sort of tells you that people still really wanted to do stuff. But when it came to really sign on the dotted line, yeah. literally, literally, you know, they, they couldn't do it. Yeah. They couldn't do it. And, of, and I would find out later on that it's yeah. not because they went with somebody else. I mean, I would be fine with that. Right. I mean, I'm not so like, Oh, you got to, you know, is that it's uncertainty? Fine. It, yeah. It's the uncertainty. So they would still, they still have this feeling like, oh, we should be doing this. You know, we should be fixing mm -hmm. problems. We should be um, communicating well, or we should be doing this campaign and fundraising and doing whatever. But then when it really came down to drop the funds on paying us to yeah. help them do it, couldn't do it. Which is very, which is actually very similar to, you know, as, as, as kind of like a, a strategist with service-based businesses, I have to say that it's a very, that it, I mean, that was the kind of the case with every all, all services, right? I mean, I'm in the wedding Correct. industry, so, right? right? So like we right. had these like really optimistic brides that are yeah. just like, let's do it. And they still wanted to, we were quoting like crazy with flowers and planning and blah, blah, blah. Oh, but you're right. right. Like they then all of a sudden when it's like, okay, well, this is how much it's going to be. Then all of a sudden it was like- Reality hits. Yeah. What if we can't have the wedding this year? That's right. Right. That's then right. what are we going to put down all this money? We're not getting it back. That's you know, right. like that kind of thing. And yeah. you're right. It's, it was incredibly frustrating because yeah. you put so much work into that. I mean, you have pitch decks, you know, we yeah. have to price out flowers and all of this. That sure. takes time. Yeah. Everything takes time, you oh, know, absolutely. And, and then us also trying to maintain our mental well-being and trying to be positive and like, you know, doing all this stuff and, it's like a roller coaster, at least it was for me, right? So yeah, no, absolutely. And so that's that that was a real uh, insight that we had around the May June time when we realized, okay, you know, in in a normal setting when you're pitching this much, I mean, you should be getting something, you know. Yeah. But but we were getting nothing, and uh, and and then the whole world was crumbling before our eyes because remember, like this is it, it's happening. It happened to us before it happened to you guys, right? So right. We're, we're watching it sort of wave across the world. Um, and then, uh, 
that COVID wasn't even it. <laughs> um, then we had the national. But wait, there's law. more. <laughs> oh yes, um, the, the bonus. Um, then the national security law came into Hong Kong from China. Um, now I don't want to get censored out, <laughs> so I'm not going to get too much into that. But okay, but can you? Are you are you able to explain what yes. it is though? Because yes, okay, we don't um, know so what that is. The national security law was essentially China um, implementing a law that would um, hold people in Hong Kong accountable against things that you were seeing during the protests. Oh, anything mm, that was anti-government. Well, and that's why the protests tapered off. Right. Now, again, I'm not here to say what is right and what is wrong. Right. Right. We're not getting into that. <laughs> I'm just here painting the picture of what was happening. So you had the protest because people were anti-China's involvement into Hong Kong and making certain changes, right? right. Um, I'm really broad stroking this, by the way. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't want you to get then, in trouble. So it's just Well, sure. But I also don't want people to think that I'm not, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, and then you have the national security law coming in from China that's telling Hong Kong, well, if people in Hong Kong are doing certain things that are anti-government, like if you start an illegal gathering or if you are um going on the street and start screaming you know anti-government things slurs yes you're right or if you you know go online and start a website that's you know stuff like yeah, that yeah right right that those people will be you know noted and taken in for for what they're doing right um and so that definitely stopped a lot of the the protest kind of action so in that sense got kind of taken care of, died down a little bit. Um, But (laughs) the negative side, as you can imagine, is that the overall sentimentality uh, of the, of Hong Kong, the overall sentiment is really, really down because um, China has this way of making people want to leave a party. (laughs) Uh, So you have such Debbie uh, Downers. (laughs) <laughs> well, you, well, you ha- because they are insistent on being involved in certain aspects of your business, of your right. whatever. Um, so, for example, um, you have a lot of American, European, Australian companies in Hong Kong that have left Hong Kong, period, because they are they don't want to have their, ex- for example, like financial stuff subject to China being able to get into it right get into it basically hong kong as a free market is not as free as it used to be so now they don't want this like and and, and even if and even if they say it is it's again this is the i mean you're a journalist you get this right it's not about oftentimes it's not about the truth of the news it's how people react to it of course that changes the economy right so even if it's like a fake fear the fear will impact the economy so i'm not here to say whether the fear is real or not right it's just the way that it's perceived Right. It's the way that but, it's broadcasted. That's it's right. the way that it's being twisted right. and all of that stuff. So yep. whether it's twisted or not, whether it's twisted or not, react yeah. to it, right? Yeah. Then it's causing people to become afraid or become, you know, risk averse mm-hmm. or become whatever, right? So you have tons of expats leaving the city. You have tons of local Hong Kongers that are leaving the city. And this is not, I'm not telling you anything that's not in public. You Google it literally, yeah, it's happening what's happening. Um UK, the UK, the British are opening up um, what they call BNOs, which is visas uh, allowing people from Hong Kong to immigrate to the UK mm-hmm. because of this situation. So Maybe. people are literally fleeing in droves. Um, 
Now, bear in mind, we're a city of like 7 million people. So when I say leaving in droves, I'm not saying that I'm the only one left in Hong Kong. That's clearly not true. (laughs) But what I'm saying is that proportionately, yeah, you know, yeah, it's a lot there are a lot more people than normal yeah. are leaving the city. Right. And so you have a massive brain drain. You have uh, expats that are leaving. You have companies that are leaving. Um, you have just a lot of people pulling out of whatever sectors and markets and things like that, investments that right. they otherwise would be pouring into. So that's the national security law, plus COVID, plus protests. I mean, Hong Kong is hurting. We're really yeah. hurt. Like, how did um, that? Oh gosh, that would have given me a lot of anxiety. Like, I don't know how you were at that well, time. Right, I would and have been so, freaking out. <laughs> well, so coming to your point about transition, I feel like one of the things that really helps anyone or any business go through transition is that before something even happens, that's worth transition. Before the transition even you know begins or takes place which you probably didn't foresee, right? Right. Before any of that, in your normal state of day-to-day doing your thing, to have a really, really, really strong feel of the pulse of what's going on in your business. Yeah. You have to be very in touch with what's going on. Like That you never, ever have... I'm not saying that you should be, you know, not, you know, not sleeping all the time just because of anxiety and just, you know, freaking yourself out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that at any moment in time, if someone were to ask you, where do you stand on this? How's your, how's your situation on this, 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 whether it be quantitative stuff like cash flow, emergency fund, um, you know, your, your payables, you know, client, how many clients, where are they, that's quantitative bottom, bottom line. You know, bottom revenue. line stuff, whether yeah. it's that or qualitative stuff, like where are your staff at? How, you know, how happy are they? How happy are your clients? What kind of, I, sorry, I'm using air quotes, which you can't see on a podcast, <laughs> but quote unquote, you know, like the life stage of your client's journey, how right. are things going, the market, um, the market of your clients, you know, all these trends and senses and all that kind of stuff to have your spidey senses completely aware of what's going on on a consistent basis that you are never coasting just because you're doing well. Yeah. No, bear in mind, I'm talking about pre-transition, right? I'm talking right. about on a regular sunny day, you're just, you know, sipping your lemonade. It's all good. Right. You still need to have an absolute pulse read on every single thing in your business. Which is really uh, interesting that you say that because more often than not, when people are coasting, like you said, with a lot of times people they're not really thinking about that they're just thinking that everything is going great and correct you know, know and they're not putting that security measures I mean right even for myself when I when I talk to my team I always end up being the I always end up being that devil's advocate right like what sure. if this happened what if that happened what if da, 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 like you know does it come off sometimes off as like a like a, like the downer of everybody sometimes, right. but I'm also the business owner, right? Like I need to right. see That's what's right. going to happen several steps ahead. Right. Well, and I'm and, glad you brought this up and, right. and I'm glad that I'm on, I, I mean, thank you for inviting me to be on this, on this podcast, because this is one of the things that I really um, am very passionate about one, but also want to say to entrepreneurs or people thinking about entrepreneurship, right? 
I say this not, by the way, I say this not because I'm an entrepreneur. I know we didn't really get too much into it, but one of the things that Astera does is we consult for entrepreneurs and small businesses. <laughs> so I'm not using myself as a case study, just right. like, oh, hey, Hannah, you have one data point. What the hell do you know? Right. No, I'm talking about like my entire client base is my data point. Right. You know, like because you work it, with that's entrepreneurs. That's your, that's your, that's right. Yeah. And what you often see is um, in the entrepreneurial space, there's something I'm sure you may have heard of it. It's called lean startup or whatever model yep. it is. That's yep. out there. You know, there's a bajillion and one models out there on, on startups and whatever. And there's this mentality that because you're starting off, you only build as much as you need. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Okay. That was now, very, no. Yes. Right. Okay. So I, you see I, where I I'm feel, going. Yeah. I know. So, I know exactly how you, yeah, now, exactly. As an entrepreneur, I am not saying that you be foolish and you, you know, spend everything or, or, or you know, oh, we don't need a, a foosball table right now. Let's get it anyways, because we, you know, because we no, want to no. have one. You're not being frivolous. We're not talking about being frivolous for the sake of being frivolous. Right. That's right. Or let's hire 10 staff even before we have enough business to, you know, utilize. Right. We're not talking about that. Right? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I think that there's that that's one extreme, yeah. which I don't advise, you know. But there's another extreme where you become so um, narrow-minded. I don't like, you know, I, I, I don't want to be offensive. Lack of, but like lack maybe, of a wide, better word. <laughs> right. But, but you become so blinders on. Tunnel vision. Um, and you, tunnel vision. Yes, yes, exactly. You become so tunnel vision that you figure, oh, we only need what I can see. Right. So, so we only need this much today. So in the spirit of saving mm -hmm. in the spirit of not being frivolous in the spirit of us being a lean startup we're just gonna be you know lean and mean and scrappy and just you know do it yourself and you know sort of home depot style like whatever you know then you don't build the things that you actually need because you can't see them right or because they're not things that are tangible then you don't build them right and it's that not very is right Go dangers ahead. of this, again, I don't want to smash, you know, and bash on, you know, lean startup model. I think there are certain good things about it, but my, my concern, and my concern is from seeing people fall into the hole on this is that lean startup often omits the need for the non-tangibles and it's the non-tangibles that will build you up strong so that you can survive when bad, right. when things get bad. Right. And those are the things like, for example, I don't worry about anybody's product or service offering. I don't because that is what an entrepreneurial or a tech person or whoever's designing an app out there. Like even if you're designing a robot arm, I don't question how good that robot, ar robot arm is. Mm -hmm. I don't question how good your flowers are. I know that those product is always going to be pristine. It's always going to have the most attention. Right. What I wonder about is leadership management, internal processes, yeah. um, also obviously including, you know, financial stability and stuff like that. Right. I wonder about the vision, the mission, the values, yeah. team dynamics, communication. Now you might say, okay, Hannah, that's, that's like phase two, three stuff, you know, like we'll get there when we get to it. It's not as important as making sure your robot arm is, <laughs> you know, perfect top shape and, you know, you know, and we get all the updates on our app and, you know, we, we have the prettiest packaging or what, whatever right. your case may be. Right. But when crisis hits, I'm telling you, if you don't have those types of foundational elements, which I believe are part of the lean startup. So even within the lean, 
you got to have that stuff. You may not need a foosball table, but you need values that are beyond a t-shirt, you know, printing it on a t-shirt and a mug. You need to know how you're implementing those values. And that's so important to say, because it kind of aligns with, you know, first of all, like I promote a lot in my, with my clients about forward thinking mentality, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people that I work with are new, newer, you know, and you're right. This focus on perfecting the product, perfecting the service is not necessarily something you shouldn't do. Oh no, you should do it. You should do it. Absolutely. But you also have to think about, you know, thinking about the mission and the vision at the very beginning, right. And putting in structures in the very beginning, like, and I I've said this actually many times that and even stuff like boundaries, like your work-life balance, all of this stuff. And I've always said this before, which kind of aligns with what you said. I'm like boundaries. If you don't set them, like you don't feel like you need them now because you're not busy because you're new. Boundaries are only pushed. You know what I mean? Like boundaries are only pushed and right. tested right. in times of crisis or right. when you're really right. busy. So right. these are things that you should be creating in the early stages right. of your business. So you work it. Right. And right. to your point, when there is times of crisis, that's what you fall back on. You end up on right. all the things so that if you, you created in your lean startup, quote unquote. Exactly. Stages. So my, so my point to all this, sorry for this long winded answer, no, but it's, it's, um, it's about building strong. So you'll survive. Yeah. And if you lean yourself so lean up front because you know, quote unquote, you don't need it, or, you know, let's not freak ourselves out. Again, I'm not here to be a a Debbie Downer and, and, you know, try to, you know, say the the sky is falling and all that kind of stuff. But we live in a world now where guess what? The sky did fall. The the sky's fall. That's what I was about to say. I'm like, I mean, you're not a Debbie Downer. Like, I mean, the sad part about it is that you're not a Debbie Downer anymore because people believe it. (laughs) Like they're just, it's not even, you're not even a Debbie Downer because if you say that, Everybody's right. like, no, yeah, that's right. Because the sky did fall, right? Like, it's like and, and so I think this is a wake up call for entrepreneurs to go back right. to the, you know, to go back to the, the, the thinking or the theory or whatever it is that when we talk about lean startups, again, I'm not against it, but what is included in the lean startup. And oftentimes I've seen entrepreneurs that don't include some of those really fundamental foundational things in the lean startup packet or whatever it is that you're doing. And when the storm hits, you don't have anything to stand on. Yeah. If you build strong, you'll survive. I mean, so, so continuing the stories to, to prove my point, um, <laughs> Astera has always included those very fundamental things in, into the lean startup. Yeah. I've always wanted a foosball table. I did not get one, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I did spend copious amounts of time and copious amounts of resources so out-of-pocket resources, because they're all for internal things, you know, mm-hmm. on these things to build up a strong culture, a strong ethos. We always knew why we were here, what we were doing, what we did not do, and what we were not willing to compromise on. We always knew. You have been listening to Secret Option Number 3, a podcast for pivoters, transitioners, the bold and the brave. Please subscribe on Anchor FM and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening and see you soon.